J.M. in the A.M., 8.30 in the morning on a Wednesday. In fact, i got to thank Kate Stewart, who's with us live via telephone, because she's in a, uh, a Western time zone, so she's really gotten up early to join us here at J.M. There's a brand-new book. It's called A Well-Read Woman, The Life, Loves, and Legacy of Ruth Rappaport. Uh, growing up under fascist censorship in Nazi Germany, Ruth Rappaport absorbed a forbidden community of ideas in banned books. After fleeing her home in Leipzig at 15 and losing both parents in the Holocaust, she drifted between vocations, relationships, and countries searching for belonging and purpose. When she found her calling in librarianship, Ruth became not only a witness to history, but an agent for change as well. Culled from decades of diaries, letters, and photographs, this epic true story reveals a driven woman who survived persecution, political unrest, and personal trauma through a love of books. It traces her activism from the Zionist movement to the Red Scare, to bibliotherapy in Vietnam, and finally to the Library of Congress, where Ruth made an indelible mark and found a home. Connecting it all, one constant thread, Ruth's passion for the printed word and the haven it provides, a haven that, as this singularly compelling biography proves, Ruth would spend her life making accessible to others. This wasn't just a career for Ruth Rappaport. It was her purpose. Kate Stewart, our author, is a third-generation librarian born and raised in the Midwest. Masters in history and library science. She's worked as a librarian and archivist for ProQuest, the Library of Congress, and the U.S. Senate in Washington. She's currently an archivist at the Arizona Historical Society in Tucson, Arizona. You can go to kate-stewart.com for more information. The book, entitled A Well-Read Woman, is a little a publishing house uh, publication available, of course, everywhere. Kate Stewart, welcome to JM in the AM. Thank you so much. Don't take this the wrong way, but you, <laughs> but but you generally don't see the word passion and librarianship in the same sentence. Um, what does that right off the bat tell us about Ruth Rappaport? If in fact her passion was for the printed word. <laughs> Well, I would I would challenge that assertion. I think a lot of librarians are very passionate about their jobs. They really care about what they do. Um, you know, providing access to books, I think, is it's one of the most important things that we can do for communities. But I think, I mean, I think she's a person who is especially passionate about it. Um, she's kind of known far and wide for being a very assertive person, for always fighting for you know, a bigger budget for her libraries um, and fighting against censorship in any of her libraries. Um, and even to the point where I know I interviewed people who worked with her, especially at the Library of Congress, who said she wasn't always a very pleasant person to work with. <laughs> but I think part of that was really, you know, the passion that she had for the work. Um, the book banning, the, uh, the, right. the, 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 the whole topic, the whole uh, area of book banning, and and obviously it's juxtaposition against you know be, being against censorship. I mean, complete total opposites. I mean, we, we talk about you know history making the man and things like that. I mean, was it that experience that you think, as her biographer, uh, really jump started this love and passion for books because she saw what certain people and groups were willing to do in order to censor the printed word. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think she had these incredibly formative experiences in Leipzig, which was, at the time, it was this, you know, world-famous publishing city. And she grew up in this famous neighborhood full of publishers and bookstores. And, you know, when she was about 13 was when um, book banning began in Germany. And she belonged to a Zionist youth group that used to pass, you know, banned books around to each other so they could read them, 
you know, she saw a book burning on the street. And those experiences, you know, she never forgot. And I think throughout her life, too, she kept coming across these instances of, um, you know, people trying to ban books or information. You know, she worked for a lawyer named Max Lowenthal, um, who wrote the first book um, that exposed, you know, what the FBI was doing in the 1950s. You know, he published this book in 1950. She helped him get that book out, even though um, J. Edgar Hoover was trying to suppress the publication of that book. Oh, yeah, I know, and, that. I know that story, right. right. Yeah, yeah. So um, she witnessed that, you know, up front when she was a librarian for the military in Vietnam. One thing that she did was try to fight against, um, there was this idea that, you know, that the troops there really shouldn't be reading any anti-war material. Right. And she made sure that they were going to have access to know what was going on at home, even, you know, to have, have a really wide range of materials about the war itself, you know, to have different opinions about what was happening in Vietnam. Um, even when she was at the Library of Congress, too, she did a lot of work to make sure that um, the subject headings that we use in catalog records, this is not something people think about a right, lot. Right. But, but, but somebody that, has to come up with it, right? Right. And, yeah. and these are standardized terms. You know, they have to be approved and be you right. know, considered the official term used in in all catalog records. And a lot of that language was really offensive. Um, and it wasn't really until the 70s and 80s that a lot of librarians started to push back and, and want those those terms changed. And she was one of the people who, who were leading the charge against that. Kate Stewart is with us. Her parents were lost in the Holocaust. How did she survive? Um, she was quite lucky, but I think also um, she made some bold decisions as a teenager. Um, what happened was... Uh, she was in Leipzig during Kristallnacht, and she saw that and walked around the city, and it really scared her. She knew that she couldn't stay. And she had two you know, older sisters who had both left Germany by that point, and she felt like, I can't stay behind, you know, even though there were some difficulties with her parents with getting out of the country for them. Um, so what happened was after that, you know, her school was closed, so her mother took her on a trip to Switzerland, a trip that she had been planning for quite a while, and then on the way back, um, you know, they were, the train was headed back into Germany, and Ruth decided, I can't do this. And she jumped off the train wow. and um, ended up staying by herself for a year in Switzerland. Um, she got hooked up with a, an organization that was started to help, you know, Jewish kids. And she ended up staying with a whole slew of, of foster families over a year. She's kind of bounced around. Um, and then eventually, she, I mean, she had been trying to for, for quite a few years to get a visa to go stay with. She had three uncles who lived in Seattle. And eventually, um, at the end of that year, she was finally able to get that visa and came to the U.S. You know, but her parents yeah, stayed not, behind in Germany. Right, unfortunately. Um, the um, At what point does she start to move up the ladder when it comes to librarianship? Because when we, when we as lay people, you know, who are not really that familiar with librarian work, you know, see names right. like Library of Congress and, you know, uh, and and you know things like you know we we assume that's the top of the heap so to speak. When did she start climbing that ladder? Yeah, it was a long process for her. You know, she when she came to the U.S., she had a series of jobs as you know a secretary, very low level positions for many years. She struggled to get through college, um, but she wrote in her diary when she was 19. You know, I want to become a librarian someday. She knew that was her dream. Um, so it wasn't really until she was in her 30s that she was able to you know finish college and go to library school. And it was really um, by by accepting a job with the military, um, which you know, in hindsight, I, you know, I kind of question why did she want to work for the military after all that she had gone through and, and these, you know, she was lived through two other wars. 
um, including, you know, the war in, in Israel in 1948. She was also there for that. Right. Um, but I think it was through the military. She took this opportunity in Saigon in 1963. There were no librarians, no libraries there at all for the military. And she took on this job to to build a new library and to build these branch library systems at different bases. And she ended up turning that job into much more than anyone ever expected. We so never, we never, we never, you know, for those of us not really familiar with, you know, being in, on the inside of the military, we don't even think about that, how there are, right. how I there know. are such institutions as libraries. Common, yeah. <laughs> Widely known that the that military, especially in the 1950s, that's when there was a huge boom in building libraries when the, the military was expanding all over the world, especially in Asia um, and Europe. Um, and it was, you know, considered, you know, both important for, for people in the military to be, you know, educated, to know what, what they were, were doing in these different countries and stuff, and to have some, some leisure time. But, um, yeah, I mean, she, she was so invested in, in building this library system. Her, her bosses called it Ruthie's Little Empire. And I think she, she was so adamant, you know, that every, every man deserved, you know, the book that he wanted to read, regardless, you know, of how hard it was to get it to him. Um, and so she, she was there for eight years. Um, she was really like a master of logistics, you know, of getting, of ordering these books from, from you know, overseas and she, getting them to these men. She it's knew, a really complicated, big system. She yeah. knew how to get stuff done, huh? <laughs> yeah, she did. She was really, I mean, and to the point of being annoying to other people. And then she eventually, you know, was able to get this job at the Library of Congress and worked her way up there, too, to becoming a, a supervisor. Um, Kate Stewart's with us. The book is called A Well-Read Woman, The Life, Loves, and Legacy of Ruth Rappaport. It, it must be, I don't know, I don't, I don't think ironic is the right word. It must be satisfying for you that you're writing a biography about some and releasing a book about somebody who fought for books, who fought for, you know, against book banning, book burning, and censorship in general. There must be some, you know, some cool aspect of that, that you're, you know, promoting and, and really, you know, uh, enhancing her life story by releasing this. Yeah, it's something, um, you know, I've been a librarian for a long time um, and worked in this world, you know, for several years. Um, I also, my background is in history, you know, as a history major, I went to grad school for that too. So this has been a great way for me to, you know, combine those aspects of what I really love to do. But also, um, I mean, that's, I, I think somebody else maybe writing about her might not have focused so much on the librarianship aspect of her life because her life touched on so many different really right. interesting historical aspects. But for me, I always I was always finding this thread throughout her life about books. You know what books meant to her, um, how she was fighting for other people um, to have access to, to books, and especially you know libraries for you know millennia have been kind of a safe haven for people. You know, as a place where. Um, you know, you not you don't have to buy anything at the library. Um, and, access and, to, to what's there is free, and you, you know, get and, and you everyone get, should be welcome. And you get to jump into ideas, which is so amazing—the ocean of yeah, ideas. Yeah, I think for so many disadvantaged people, it's it's been this wonderful place for them to be able to, you know, explore ideas. You know, to find themselves. Do most people? Uh, do most people in your line of work? And I'm I'm being serious asking this question, especially in light of the of the atmosphere in this country right now. Uh, do 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 you have a certain pledge, and maybe even if an official one, where you are completely against censorship and um, and uh, I don't know boycotts of 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 books in the printed? And I say that because today 
one, especially today, so many people make arguments about why certain positions or you know public statements or even the printed word, if it's you know reflecting a certain point of view, you know should not be out there. Can I assume that even if right. something is really offensive to you, let's say politically for argument's sake, uh, you would still encourage you know those opinions to be out there? Yeah, to a certain extent, yeah. I mean, the American Library Association has all kinds of you know statements about this, um, lots of training about this when you go to library school because. It's something that, that especially public librarians and school librarians deal with all the time, especially materials for children, where parents, you know, are really concerned. They don't want their children, you know, looking at a certain book and they want it out of the library. Um, and then you even have all this stuff going on today with fake news, with people coming in and saying, well, I read this on the Internet. It's true, right? right. right. <laughs> or, you know, all kinds of books being published with, with you know, off-the-wall conspiracy theories. You know, and but librarians, you know, you only have a certain amount of space in the library. There's only so much you can choose to put on the shelves. So librarians are always thinking about, you know, what is what is the best sources of information? What's the most authoritative? You know, what's what's the highest quality? That's always the stuff they're going to want to go to. And of course, that can somewhat be objective. But you also have to think about the community that you're serving. You know, what do people want to read? If somebody requests something, if multiple people request something, you're going to get that that for your community. Right. You know, it's funny and, and, and we feel this all the time because there's this balance we have because we are, you know, we, we take our religious observance seriously. So there is, you know, a measure of censorship that comes along with that. We feel certain things are inappropriate, as you mentioned, for children, etc. And at the other, and at the same time, we try to take a position of we are not at all pro boycotts or pro censorship because we don't want others doing the same to us. We want to have you know, be able to have our opinion and express through demonstrative manners. You know what we have to yeah. say, and you know, etc. Cetera, et cetera. So it's a very you know often life presents these very delicate balances that are hard to uh, that are hard to um, uh, you know navigate at times. Yeah, and, it's, and, it's a really difficult thing. Yeah, one thing that's been bubbling up in the library world is. Um, access to meeting rooms in libraries and should every single group be able to, you know, even, you know, neo-Nazi groups, should they be able right. to meet in the libraries? And a lot of librarians are saying no. <laughs> like we have to draw the line somewhere right. about, you know, what we believe, what we're promoting by, you know, allowing certain groups to, to meet there. What would Ruth say? Um, <laughs> I don't know. That's a good question. I think she would, I think, and the, not, and the Nazi would question would, no, but and the, yeah, the Nazi question would really be uh, uh, sensitive to her. Yeah, it would. Um, yeah, I know if they met there, she probably wouldn't want to be there. <laughs> I can yeah. tell you that. What a fascinating but, look at history through one person. You did a great job on this. I got to tell you. Oh, thank you. Uh, check it out, everybody. A well-read woman. Uh, the Life, Loves, and Legacy of Ruth Rappaport, as written by Kate Stewart. It's a biography. It's A1. Excuse me. It's a little A. Little A publishing. And I would assume, Kate, it's available everywhere at this point, right? Yep. It should be available at your local bookstore. And uh, Amazon and all that. Just search Kate mm -hmm. Stewart. Uh, I appreciate you getting up early and joining us. And congratulations on this. Uh, like I say, a very interesting look at history through the, uh, uh, through the uh, eyes and experiences of one very interesting woman. Uh, yeah, thank th you so much for having me. A pleasure. Thank you again, and good luck with the book. Thanks. A well-read woman, Kate Stewart, with us here on JM in the AM. Quarter before 9 o'clock. More coming up. It's a Wednesday at JM in the AM.